as we were throwing this idea around and chewing on it and talking about it, we were with our mom out to lunch and she just said, okay, girls, are you going to do this swimsuit thing or not? Because if you are, let's lay the ground rules right here, right now. And the four of us deciding our ground rules and we did, we laid them out. Um, there's, there's still our ground rules. Welcome to Fortune and Faith, a show about members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and how their faith influenced and oftentimes sustained them as they persevere through obstacles, failures, and challenges on their quest for success. I'm Jason Tang. Growing up, sisters Colette, Jennifer, and Nicole lived quite literally a life of adventure as their parents took them to live all over the world from India to Europe to Egypt and even Afghanistan, where Nicole was born. Because of these experiences, their bonds of sisterhood grew unbreakable as they traversed the globe together. But as time moves forward, life changes and siblings inevitably go in different directions. Colette, the oldest, was first married, leaving Utah in 1991 in support of her husband's career, thinking she would never live by her sisters or her parents again. But 14 years later, an opportunity came up that brought her back to the Beehive State, where the three sisters reunited and decided to keep their adventure going in 2007 when they launched Lime Ricky, a line of modest swimsuits made especially for women and girls. Yet as many business startup stories go, the first idea isn't always the one that makes the cut. And as Colette explains, a lot of brainstorming sessions took place leading up to their fashionable beginnings. Once we moved here, we did want to do something. We're like, we're sitting in Utah feeling so blessed. How, what can we do that's meaningful together besides do crafts or go to lunch? Um, we just felt kind of this desire to do something. So we decided that we would meet every month over dinner with our husbands. And we each couple had to bring ideas to the table, which was fun in and of itself. And we, we brought some ideas. And I like to tease my brother-in-law. Bryce, that he invented the iPad before Apple did. Like he had this idea for it. And we're like, well, that's way too technical. He's an aerospace engineer. He could have made it happen, but we, we, we weren't there yet. So anyway, um, as we're kind of on this journey, trying to figure out what are we going to do? What do we want to do? What's this business going to be? My daughter, Jasmine, who was 13 at the time, was at that age where... She she wanted a really cute swimsuit, and she couldn't find one all summer long. And super frustrating. I imagine most parents know this experience where you're trying to find something that you're comfortable with, she's comfortable with, and, and we weren't finding it. She turned to me and said, Mom, why don't you and your sisters do that? Why don't you make something that's cute and comfortable and modest and cute? And so, and as soon as she said that, I'm like, yep, that is it. That is it. I could feel, I might say the vibes in the air that this was, this was something that other people were going to be doing or were starting to do. And so if we were going to jump in, this would be the perfect time. So I shared it with my sisters and um, after a little persuasion and arm twisting, they jumped into and we just off we went that's how it started. Now, a lot of advice from business people would say, hey, you probably shouldn't go into business with family and friends because there's a little bit of risk doing that. 
I mean, was that yeah. ever a concern for, for you and your sisters that it's exciting at the moment, but you know, you're actually building something and money's going to start being involved and duties and responsibilities and equal share of work and, and all those things. So, so true. I mean, we've heard, we've heard that a lot about family. And when we tell people, they just look at us like, and you're still friends. All of that is mixing two things that can be uncomfortable. What happened was, um, as we were throwing this idea around and chewing on it and talking about it, we would with our mom out to lunch and she just said, okay, girls, are you going to do this swimsuit thing or not? Because if you are, let's lay the ground rules right here, right now. So it's literally like a pen and a napkin on a table at Olive Garden and the four of us deciding our ground rules. And we did. We laid them out. We decided. And um, there's there's still our ground rules. And one of them was that because there's three of us, we can't gang up on each other, that all three of us have to agree before we make any big decisions. And then the second one was family first before money will be split completely equally between the three of us and um, and just family first. Money doesn't matter. We won't let that come in between us. We'll work things out. And so we have, we have lived by those rules. And I, I can't say that it hasn't been rocky at times. Um, but on the flip side of that, I would say there are lots of advantages to working with family especially sisters that you're close to because you know each other really well and you know what we know what each other's strengths are and we know what each other's weaknesses are so we can help each other grow we can um, play to each other's strong suits and fill in where we have weaknesses so I would say there's two sides to that coin I love that in, in all of this too that even as adults your mother is still the one that brings it all together sets the ground rules I love it too. I love it too. And I just would love to throw this in. Our first marketing campaign is really pre-Facebook before people were on Facebook. All we had was email really. And our sweet mom emailed every person on her email list. My daughter's this, Lime Ricky, da da da. Here's the link. And seriously, we sold out that, that year and we give all the credit to our sweet mom. That's awesome. Got it. Yeah, mothers awesome. will always be the mothers, and that's wonderful to hear. So you decide to do this. You laid the ground rules. Hey, let, let's mm-hmm. do this business. It, it's easy to say, but I, I'm thinking in my head, like, where, what do you do? Where, do you, where are you getting the fabric? Are you cutting patterns in your living room? How do you manufacture? Do you just <laughs> sew things together and put them, take pictures and put up online? How, how do you get this started? That is exactly what we said to ourselves. And yes, all of those things. So the next step we took was to decide who would do what. We each have really unique um, skill sets that are different from each other. So my sister Jennifer is very left brain. She started a business. She's She loves a good spreadsheet. So she automatically... <laughs> We automatically said, okay, Jennifer, get us the license, get us the LLC, get us the federal, get get us all that stuff. We didn't even know what it was really, but she kind of knew which direction to head. My other sister, Nicole, total opposite, right brain, creative, um, graphic design, web person. So instantly she became that. 
And I, um, I had taken some design classes and knew how to sew and pattern and put patterns together. So I got design and production. So it was as simple as that on the outset. We all had our responsibilities. And then it was seriously looking for what resources we had. My neighbor knew how to make, she was a pattern maker. So I drew sketches. Our daughters drew sketches and we took them to her and she sewed them for us. And um, meanwhile, Nicole's working on graphics and website and Jennifer's working on licenses. And then we needed um, a production facility. And we were just young. We were all in our thirties. We all had young kids and um, no business experience except for Jennifer a little bit. And I remember gathering in Nicole's office one day, like, okay, we have some phone calls to make and playing this music to get us all hyped up. And we all split up some phone numbers of people that we could call and how to find someone who could produce and sew swimsuits for us. And then we all went in different rooms and started making phone calls. And it seemed so scary and intimidating at the time. And uh, we did it and we found someone actually in our same town who did our first run so we we just kind of went and talked with them and they helped us find someone who could grade the patterns into different sizes and kind of helped walk us through the production of it so we really did not know what we were doing we just knew what we wanted to do and had a desire and a curiosity and just took steps which sounds crazy and you're in the middle of utah the middle of the desert i mean there's not a a garment district like New York or maybe in LA. So where are you getting patterns and fabrics and colors and all the things that, that you need? And, and remembering that this is 2006. So yeah, we had the internet and not every, not so much was on the internet. So we, we had it, we had a person who had elastic in Texas. We found uh, someone who had bra pads in LA. We found, some fabric suppliers um, that we could look and they would send us samples out of LA and there was some out of New York. I mean, it was just, we, it was just piecemeal. We were just doing what we could and we learned so much on the way. We learned that um, until we could print 500 yards at the time, we couldn't design our own print. We had to do, we're like 500 yards. That's a, that's like, 1500 swimsuits i wonder someday we'll get there and we did we did in a few short years but so we were just using stock fabrics and putting together putting it together just just however we could and designing and we had no idea that this cute suit we designed needed like four kinds of elastic and four different suppliers i mean We've learned so much. Our pattern maker has said to us many times, how did you have the courage to start? Because I would never do this. It's so complicated. And we had the luxury of not knowing. We just jumped in and, you know, learned as we went. And I think in some ways that was an advantage. Right. And then being able to lean on each other, work together, not all the pressure is on on one person. For sure. Honestly, I I think that's such a, a big advantage and a big blessing i don't know how people do it on their own because there's a lot to juggle when you're starting up so you start up you've got patterns you've got you know runs of maybe 1500 suits from the one you know pattern you talked about do you you open up a store do you open up uh, you know an online shop like how, how do you 
get to market? Right, right. That was the next question. We decided that since we were all moms and we all had children at home, that online would be the best, easiest way for us to to manage. So we did. We opened a limericky.com. We bought it. We bought the um, website and launched it. And mom sent out her marketing campaign and we spread the word. Her emails went out and we just talked to people and um, have lots of good supportive friends. And they, um, we soon found out that people really, really wanted to come try them on. Because it's swimsuits, you know. Ordering online is such, how do you know? But size and uh, swimwear is its own thing. So within a year... We each opened up a little makeshift shop in our basement. So Jennifer lived in Ogden. Nicole lived south of her in Salt Lake. And I lived in Provo. And we just literally put our phone numbers. If you live in this town, call t- call us. <laughs> and they did. And we just had a steady stream of people coming into our basements every day, all summer long, buying swimsuits from our basement. And we'd take turns servicing the customer service line on our phones. So I'd be sitting at the pool doing customer service, watching my kids swim or at the grocery store, pushing this cart, doing customer service. I mean, we were just cobbling together, doing the best we could. And I think that brings up an, uh, an interesting point too, because you are mothers w- w- with young children. And, and in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have the family, a proclamation to the world where it states mothers have the primary responsibility for nurturing the children. So how, how do you balance wanting to be successful in both roles as a mother and as a business owner? That's such a good question and is, is and has been on our minds the whole entire time. Um, a couple of things. First, we all have really supportive husbands with, who at the time had a good income so that we didn't feel the pressure to make this be really successful and go big and be so into it that we didn't have time. We had the luxury of doing it, doing more at home and at the pace that we could prioritize our family. We also met with a lot of women who were business owners and asked them about their experiences, got some uh, lots of good advice. And... Um, and honestly, I can only speak for myself since my sisters aren't here. It does feel, I feel, I felt and still feel conflicted about it because my first love is my family and, and my children and my husband. And that is my first priority. And at the same time, um, we also, and I also felt inspired to do this. I remember the day, so we had moved here and I had been teaching fitness. That's what, what I had been doing before. Um, and it, I just, just getting fitness jobs here didn't feel right. And I remember just standing in the shower, which is my best place for inspiration and just talking to Heavenly Father, like, what? this isn't feeling right. What, what is it that you want me to do? What, is there something or, you know, praying and then pondering and talking out loud and just this, why don't you do that swimsuit thing with your sisters? So then we had the lunch with mom. Um, So I really felt like it was something that the Lord approved approved of. And that was 
that I was to do. So I felt that which was, which was and has always been super comforting to me. And I continued to pray about it. Like, oh, it's really, really, is this the right place? Am I doing the right thing? And I think, um, even though I've wanted the answer to be, no, it's time to sell or get out, you're done. (laughs) The answer continues to be, no, stick with it. There's stick with it. And so that for me is a great comfort. And, you know, we, we also are able to work from home a lot. We're able to be home at the crossroads in important times. We, um, have the luxury, like I said, of husbands who are the, the main income winners. So we can pull back on this and we help each other. So we've made it work. We've done the best we can balancing. And I have a lot of guilt actually about it because I think we've all been stressed by it. We've probably missed children's birthdays and soccer games or Um, other events um, with travel that we've had or sometimes meetings and stuff like that. At the same time, when I ask my children or apologize to them, I'm sorry for being gone or not being here enough, or I tell them about my guilt, they all look at me and say, wait, mom, we don't remember that. We are so proud of you. And what you have done shows us that we can, we can do it too. And we can do anything. And, Oh, so that helps me feel a little better. And you're 15, 16 years into this now. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that some of the people that listen to, to my podcast are women. So what, what's the advice you can give to, to them now that, you know, you were, you, you've done the whole process too. And, and what can they learn from you? What I would ultimately say is my experience is that sometimes being in the home with children and, and, the, the daily things that seem mundane um, can sometimes feel like it's not rewarding or we don't see an immediate payoff or get the pat on the back. And in business, we often get that more quickly and more often. And it, it could be tempting to mistakenly get our our worth, our sense of self-worth from that business, from the accolades or the money or, you know, the things that come with that um, instead of the joy that comes from, from doing our best in our family life. And it would be really tempting to do that. And it's also misplaced and in the end empty. And I can say that because I've been there. And, and um, yeah, that's what I would say. Does that make sense? Definitely. And that's, I think that's wonderful advice for, for men and women, husbands and, and wives as, as well. Because, you know, being a business owner myself, I have that guilt as well sometimes that I'm not always with my kids when I should be. And I'm always working, whether it's my normal job or my side job or, you know, all the, other, all the different things. So do you, you're, you're doing shopping from your basements and do you open up a store? I mean, I believe there's a store, right? Yes, we have two stores. So I think within three years of, of starting, we opened up our first store. We figured, well, by then we needed a warehouse 
Jennifer has one daughter and I had five. Nicole had three. So Jennifer won and she got the shipping in her basement. <laughs> I guess we figured she had fewer children. She could probably get to it sooner in the morning than we could. So by default, we, we shipped out of her basement. We hired a, a person to help her. We hired a couple people to help her and then realized, okay, it's time for a warehouse. And if we're going to get a warehouse, let's put a let's just put a little store in the front so people can go there instead of maybe our houses all the right. time. So we did that, and we found that the store was super successful. People just want to come; they want to try on the suit, they want to touch it, and feel it, and um, so that was great success. And when we had the opportunity to open a second store in a, in Provo, we did that. So there's a store here by me, and then there's a, our offices and another store up by Jennifer and Nicole, who both live in Salt Lake now. So it works out great. And what year was the the store opened? Ooh, let's see. Maybe 2010-ish. So you're in business, and you're starting off, and it's it's a difficult as anybody who has a business starts off, the first few years are a little rough. Oh, yeah. Even more rough when you add in a great recession. And I know that had to have impacted you in, in some way, and I'm sure probably in a negative way. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes. Well, some some great things and some difficult things um, that led to good things. The great thing was, even in a recession, people still swim and they still were buying swimsuits and we didn't really see a dip in our sales, which was completely awesome. We were thrilled um, to see that. On the other hand, what we, what did change was the banking. And whereas we had a bank that was just doling, writing the checks and making our line of credit bigger and as big as we, you know, more than we needed. And in and, and just like overnight, that was cut off and they said, oh, sorry, we can't actually give you any money. And that was in the fall, which is when we go to, into production and we need cash, at least a percentage up front as we start buying the supplies and get ready for the production to begin so we can launch in early, early of the next year. And we call, we call it Black Halloween when Jennifer called us in tears, like, we don't have any money to pay for this fabric that we've ordered and is being printed and for the suits and, you know, and uh, so we all drove up to her house and just had this big powwow and we put together this PowerPoint for potential investors because we figured our best hope since the banks aren't lending is to go to private investors, so... We put together a PowerPoint. We made our list of people to call, played motivating music, oh, and started just, you know, knocking on doors and making calls and emailing people. And um, and we found a, a friend of Nicole and Jennifer's who was willing to invest in Lime Ricky and had and continued to be an investor for many years. And we are so grateful to him. And he took a share of the company or just a, was it a hard money loan or, or, or was it equity? Mm-hmm. No, we weren't willing to give up any equity because we were still trying to grow the company. And um, that's advice that we'd been given. So he just, it was just a cold, hard loan with a good interest rate for him. And it, it obviously good for us because that's 
that's what we wanted too. Um, yeah, we, we haven't given up any equity. That's awesome. So you, you get the, the loan, you're able to continue forward. Yeah. I mean, I mean, is, is, I have to think that there's gotta be some hiccups in manufacturing somewhere along the line. You're not the one in control. You're relying on a third party. I'm sure you've had some bumps on the road somewhere. Oh my goodness. Yes. I, Oh, many, many, many. And we've, uh, we've had parties where we sat and, and cut each individual suit in a certain place because it was fitting weird and then repackaged them. We've had, we went to China one year and it went well, mostly except for this blue swimming suit that we had. And uh, we started selling it and then we started getting customers calling and sending it back and emailing us that, as soon as they got into the water with it, it just started bleeding blue just down their body. So, you know, things like that. What do you do happen. when that happens? I mean, besides refund the money, but are you just liable yeah. for all the losses? Is the manufacturer, do you just, they're like, sorry. In an ideal world, the manufacturer is held accountable. Um, it's our experience in manufacturing that isn't always how the story ends up. So we did end up taking a really big, huge loss that year that we manufactured in China. And so we moved back to Mexico and LA where, where we still are today. So a little hiccups, but overall things seem to be going well and and you're growing. Yes. Yes. I mean, hiccups, we, we say we've been in this business for 15 years or so, and you'd think we'd have it down. And the world that we live in just continues to change. Um, For example, COVID and the supply chain completely uh, was completely disrupted in different ways. And so, you know, everyone along the supply chain is scrambling to do things a new way and do it differently and the timing different and the payment different. So I feel like we just continue to learn and to figure out different ways to, to manufacture and do it and um, we keep learning, which is keeps it interesting for sure. Um, and you asked the question about growth, which is an interesting question. We once had um, a mentor tell us that in his business, he knew he could he could grow in increments of five helicopters. And if he tried to do six helicopters, it wouldn't work. He could do five, or he could jump up to ten. And so putting that into swimsuit terms, we've come to a place where we've been for quite some time at five helicopters. And we really know how to do it, and we can do it really well. And we've tried to bump up to six or seven and haven't had a lot of success bumping up. We have just been able to do great maintaining at five. So we decided today to bump it up to 10. So stay tuned. We'll see what that means and what that looks like. And I think part of the reason for that is we are still mothers and now grandmothers, two of us. And we have other interests and we um, we haven't wanted to work full time. We just like working part time. And... 
being together and, and doing it. And so we haven't been willing to invest our time full time into it either. So it's, it's a conscious choice. But stay tuned. Thing, things are about but to happen. But stay tuned. Yes, exactly. Ten helicopters. Stay tuned. Ten, yes. Let's go back just a little bit because I know there's, besides the recession, you, you had another really big bump in the road with, with your sister as, as she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. I mean, I mean, yeah. there, there's nothing like a health issue to kind of put everything into perspective. The breast, the BRCA1 gene, the breast cancer 1 gene runs in our family and, and we're, we're all aware of it. And we've all, all of us sisters have been genetically tested for the gene and both of my sisters have it and I don't have it. So Nicole, the youngest sister ha- is a three time cancer survivor. She was first diagnosed when she was 21 and then, you know, chemo and radiation and then two times since then. And she was finished with all that be- just as we started Lyme Reiki. That, um, Jennifer had managed to stay really, really healthy. She's super healthy. A bike ride for her is 100 miles. You know, a run for her is up the canyon. <laughs> I mean, she's just a super athlete and super healthy vegetarian, takes such good care of herself, um, in part knowing that she has the gene. And then she was diagnosed with stage 4 ovarian cancer in September, I want to say. Um, about 10 or 11 years ago, you'd think I'd know the date, but what all I remember is we were counting inventory um, at our warehouse soon after her diagnosis, but before we knew too much. And Jennifer was at her desk and Nicole and I were just counting suits, just crying and crying. And all our employees thought it, that we were crying because we had so many suits to count, but we were crying because because of the implications stage of ovarian cancers uh, has a high mortality rate. I guess we could say it that way. And so we were pretty concerned that we could lose her. And miraculously, she, she's obviously she survived. She's a fighter and she got through it. Some really difficult things and, Managed to continue keeping our financial books alive. And, you know, we just hired some more people to help support her with her part of the job so she could be home and recuperate and get through it. And she did. Really amazing. At, at the time that this is happening and you're, and you're crying, is Faith at all a comfort there for you or is that when it's almost like I, I'm questioning my faith and where do I stand with, with my with my testimony at the time no no questioning just um, for us cancer is a, a pretty a pretty big reality that we live with and um, we knew it was completely possible. And um, and no, it's no. I think it just strengthened our faith and gratitude that there's a plan. That even if even if we lost Jennifer, even if she not lose her, even if she died and it took her, 
She's still our sister. She's still part of the family, and as devastating as that is, it's it's okay. It's okay. Fortunately, we did not have to. We didn't. Well, we did face it. We stared it in the face. We did a sister hike, and we once she was feeling better, she still didn't have any hair, and we hiked up, and we each wrote our biggest fear on a piece of paper, and then we, and then we ripped it up into tiny pieces and threw it off the cliff. And then we talked about what our biggest fear was. And I wrote down that she would die. That was my biggest fear because she still wasn't through the woods. And she looked at me like, wait, what? You thought I was going to die? Like Jennifer stayed for ovarian. I thought you were, I thought it was a possibility. She never did. She never, ever did. She knew she would make it through. And I believe it was a spiritual gift that she had that she, she never thought she was it would take her life. I love that. Yeah. So. And the strength that she showed. And I'm sure we can all yeah. learn from that. That's, I, I can't put myself in those shoes and say I would be the same way. But I think as you've, as you've done this business now, 15 years, you've been successful. It's grown. You're going to grow more. It sounds like that, which is very exciting to hear. But I think one of the things that you're really proud of too, is how you give back for your business and talk about you know, what, what you guys do to give back to, to the world. So because it's such a, a, a real thing in our lives and in our families and with, with their daughters, um, we have been contributing to breast cancer research from the get-go. And we have just partnered with someone in um, a company out of New York who does, who sells things for women who, have, who are coming through the breast cancer experience and we have partnered with them. We contribute to um, breast cancer research and things through them. So that's a part of our giving back. We feel really blessed by all the medical help that we, our family has received and love to contribute to that. And then the other piece is back to our world travels, Um, wanting to give back, especially to women and children in third world countries. And so we, we looked around to find out what, what could that be that would still also be relevant with swimsuits and kind of have a connection there. And and we settled on charity water because when families have access to clean water, then the mothers and the daughters don't have to be walking miles to get fresh water every day. And the daughters can go to school and the mothers can be home taking care of things or running businesses and safe and they're safer. So safety, school, health for the family. And so um, we contribute monthly. It's not a percentage of our business. We just have a, a number, the dollar number that we contribute every month to Charity Water to help women and families have access to clean water. And we're, we're really thrilled that we can have a business that allows us to be able to contribute to bettering lives of other people. And it's such a simple thing that I think most of us in a first world country take for granted. We just turn on a faucet and it's water on demand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we, I don't even think about it. 
we, we just take it so much for granted. And yet it's such a big deal for, for people who don't have it. And you've seen so. it firsthand. Exactly. Well, Colette, how, how do you, when, when you think about this story and you think about your journey, how do you measure success? As a 55-year-old, it's easier to answer that question than, than the 30-something who started Lime Ricky. For me, now, having gone through these experiences and, and gone through the stage where I thought success was um, a growing business and making money or what uh, the size of our house or or even, you know, the success of our family or our children. Um, and now from my perspective, I real, I can see that that's, that's not a measure of success at all. A measure to me, the measure of success is how, who I'm becoming through all of these experiences and, um, what these, what I'm, becoming because of it and who I am and um, integrity, loyalty, learning to be more compassionate and compassionate and understanding. Yeah. Becoming a better person for a long time. I had it backwards. And I think one of the great blessings of this Lime Ricky journey with my sisters is that, that learning together that journey that we've been on together and be able to process all of it and figure out what really is important and what really matters and um, take advantage now of all the opportunities to learn and grow and become. That's Colette Collister, co-founder and co-owner of Lime Ricky. The trio of sisters have sold swimsuits in all 50 states and also internationally in 16 different countries. You can visit them in their brick and mortar stores in Provo or in Salt Lake City, Utah, or shop the entire collection online at www.limericky.com. And the name Lime Ricky came about in a roundabout way, which even included Paris, France. My parents served missions in, missions in France, and that's where they met in Paris, which is highly romantic. And they've since served two more French-speaking missions together. Of course, we all learned French. So, of course, the first thought out of our brains was it must be a French name and we found a French name and we and Nicole just like she went full force on this French name design work, website everything and then we realized oh wait no one's gonna know how to spell this if we're gonna be online this is a disaster so what was it we need it was called Trey Soleil very sunny yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah, see, you would have been able to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> Very sunny. It doesn't really make sense and it's hard to spell, but we loved it. And um, when we realized, oh, this is this could be a difficulty, let's think of a new name. Nicole and her husband, who is also in, who is in advertising, sat down and brainstormed. They are super creative. And they came with pages, pages of possibilities. So they called me. And read all the names. And when they got to Lime Ricky, I'm like, oh, that's it. Lime Ricky. I love that one. And then they called Jennifer, read all the names through. And when they got to Lime Ricky, Jennifer's like, oh, Lime Ricky. I love that one. And then we went to buy the domain. And the conventional way of spelling Lime Ricky was already bought. And the owner of it was not willing to give it up. So 
We are Lime Ricky with an I at the end because that was available. And so it is. Thanks for listening to Fortune and Faith. I'm Jason Tang. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. New episodes come out every second and fourth Monday of the month.